Welcome to the Bad for Business podcast, brought to you by the Founders Fund. The Bad for Business podcast uncovers the real unfiltered stories behind the success of unconventional, disruptive, and downright bad for business entrepreneurs. I'm your host and badass entrepreneur in charge, Vivian Kay. If you're interested in joining a community of bad for business women identifying founders who also get access to funding, mentorship, and education for your business, visit us at foundersfund.ca to become a member. Jace is a Métis mother, teacher, artist and public speaker currently living a nomadic lifestyle in an RV with her husband, their four-year-old, a Great Dane, a black cat, and a goldfish. At the present moment, Jace is living in an organic food forest on the Tacom Loops to Sequimec territory. Jace has cultivated an expertise in the co-creation of culturally relevant education for youth and adults. Her teaching has reached 1.25 million Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Jace is a fierce advocate for Indigenous women entrepreneurs and is a director for the Indigenous Lift Collective. Last year, she spoke to 70,000 people around the globe in an effort to co-create the conditions for Indigenous entrepreneurs to thrive. As a side hustle, Jace consults with social impact and youth-serving organizations to build more inclusive programs and services. I can't wait for you to listen in on this impactful and empowering conversation with Jace Myers. Hey, Jace, how are you? I'm doing awesome. It's so great to connect with you, Viv. Yes. Uh, so wait, okay. I just need you to tell me where you are right now. Like, what are you, what are you doing right now? Life is interesting. I am living a nomadic lifestyle with my family uh, in an RV. We've moved just recently from Algonquin Territory or Ottawa, as you might know it, uh, to Kamloops or to Kamloops, Seklamik Territory um, in the RV, along with our Great Dane, and a black cat, and somehow I recently just inherited a goldfish as well. Oh! <laughs> Life has never been more interesting. <laughs> so you drove from, um, so from what we now know as Ottawa, all the way to Kamloops, BC. That's right. Yes, uh, we set uh, forth in search of a winery retreat uh, as a bit of a legacy project as a family. Uh, completely with the focus of building um, for our daughter and her family uh, land that we could cultivate into a food forest to feed our community and uh, produce excellent uh, small batch uh, organic wine uh, to really help change people's relationship with alcohol and uh, create a gathering place when we can one day gather again. Wow. Oh, you just reminded me. You know, sometimes you forget. Sometimes you just forget. You remember when we were in a pandemic? Yeah, I know. Uh, But we're living beyond the current state and dreaming for the future and really thinking about this generation and the next generation. So that tells me we just need to like 
keep calm and carry on and, right. and invest in those things that are going to take care of us and investing in food uh, and wine. Seems like you might get us through a pandemic. I mean, I can get with that. I can <laughs> definitely get with that. Wine, please. <laughs> so Jace, tell before you picked up and moved all the way across the country, um, take us back to when you were a kid. What was life like? Like, what was your family structure, your cultural upbringing? Tell me all the, tell me all the details. Yeah, little Jace. Little Jace was raised in a military uh, household with plenty of family uh, dynamics and divorce to keep life interesting. Uh, that meant that I moved a lot. I've moved 20, now 30 times in my life. So uh, being a nomad is really within my blood. Uh, I'm a Métis woman. My family hails from Treaty 5 territory in northern Manitoba. Uh, and the Métis are nomadic people. They move in search of self-determination uh, uh, and are like a people that can't be kind of held down or defined by others. Uh, and that really comes through. Interestingly, though, in my story, uh, I didn't come to know of my Métis heritage until I was about uh, 18 or 19 years old when my grandma was diagnosed with a brain tumor and realized she hadn't shared her story. So as a struggling teenager to figure out who I was in the world, I was um, kind of gobsmacked to find out that I really didn't know anything about who I was uh, until this news. And the really reason for that was that my grandma was a residential school survivor and was raised to be completely ashamed of her culture and did everything she could to run away from it. So she left the Manitoba region and headed to Vancouver Island um, as a, a single mother of three and raised her children as if they weren't Indigenous. Um, but um, unlike myself, who is a very much uh, white passing, my mom is not. Uh, so she always knew that um, she was Indigenous, even though she didn't have a name for it. Um, so there was always conversations that kind of didn't make sense until the story came through. Um, and it took me about five or six years to really feel comfortable enough um, to embrace that part of my identity and figure out how to connect with community, uh, especially as someone who uh, moved so often. Community was hard to define as it was because, right. you know, every three years I was in a different place. Um, but um it was, it was a lifelong goal to really make sure that that was um, brought back into my life so that I might correct the intergenerational trauma that I experienced, especially because I knew a life goal of mine was to, to be a, a good mom. Uh, that was really the biggest dream I had was to really just be there for a, a little girl in a way that my mom wasn't able to be there because her mom wasn't being able to be there. Um, and I figured the only way I could do that was to really get right with, um, my culture and connect with those teachings, um, and hopefully, um, break the cycle. Wow. Okay. Well, so you mentioned, um, you know, growing up that you wanted to be a mom. So did you think like, does that, what, is that what you thought would pay the bill like what did you think would no pay no no, the no. Bills? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness how much would they pay us how much do we pay as mothers how much do you think our salary should be per year uh well it's like what half a million to raise a child over a lifetime so I think somewhere around there <laughs> half a million a year yeah I could do that I could do that I could do that uh 
Uh, yeah, no, I was always a very career oriented person. Um, so being a mom was not something that I thought would be my full time job, but um, it would certainly be the balance that I would search for in life. Um, uh, interestingly, though, I, I was drawn towards a teaching uh, career. I've later come to realize that uh, people who are the first generation into university um, often end up becoming teachers because that's one of the only careers they really deeply understand. So I followed that data set and uh, went to school uh, to be an elementary school teacher. Um, I, I completed that program. I actually taught um, middle school and high school math and science, uh, photography and art, and worked uh, with uh, youth with special needs as an art teacher for a while um, before I realized that um, I loved supporting kids one-to-one. -one. Like there's a huge impact to be had at that, but I wanted to really um, support more kids. And I thought if I got beyond the classroom walls, there might be an opportunity to make some systems change so that more kids felt belonging um, in the school system. Wow. That's so interesting that you talked about that first generation uh, become teachers. And it's the other day I was actually thinking, and I, I've never, I actually I told this story once and I didn't realize I'd said it, I hadn't said it out loud was that um, people ask, you know, how did you become a good teacher? How did you become a good teacher? And it's because I would teach my mom. Oh, I love right? that. So, you know, we came from Ghana when, um, you know, I was just under two years old, um, you know, and then she came and then, you know, had two kids right after. And, you know, she didn't get the chance to go to school and learn English properly. So who did she learn it from? She learned it from me. So I would come home every day, like, you know, I would help her and figure things out. Um, and so people are like, well, how did you become? And it's, that's, that's how I became a great teacher. Cause I taught my mom. So yeah, I'm but it's, it's interesting that you said that. Cause I was just like, Oh, not just me. <laughs> I love that. And I love what that also represents. Right. And it's something I believe so strongly and carried really, um, uh, profoundly with me as a teacher is that our children are incredible teachers. They're naturally curious. They're absolutely creative. They have more patience than we've got. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is something that, you know, I think the world needs more of is just to realize that our children have so much to teach us. And, you know, you, you clearly did that with your mom. So what a beautiful story. Yeah, thank you. So tell me about the origins of your company. Like what led you to starting your own business? Yeah, so I've been working in the public sector as a teacher, and then I left that uh, world for nonprofit work, and then I ended up in the corporate tech space. So I've kind of tried on uh, every type of sector and every type of job, um, and nowhere did I ever find myself completely fulfilled. It turns out I have very strong opinions. <laughs> no! Don't take no for an answer. Um, <laughs> And I'm a systems thinker, so I need to have my hands in many things in order to build the conditions for, you know, uh, what it is I'm working towards, which is really to help communities um, have equitable access to education where everyone feels a sense of belonging. Uh, they're not afraid to fail in their pursuit of learning. So every job I've taken, I've always had a role within education, whether 
I was working on developing the onboarding or training teachers um, or working in the classroom with, with students themselves. Um, and I realized that um, my skill set was actually really unique. Like I'd studied child development and psychology and how we learn and why we don't learn and how to create safe spaces and how to build inclusive environments for kids with special needs. And all of that translates to every human. Um, and so I started to get called a lot for like, hey, can I pick your brain about this? Or, hey, we're launching this new program and we just think you might have some thoughts about how to make it better. And, and that really made me realize, um, actually, it was a boss one day that said, oh, yeah, Jace, you can go out and help that organization. And we're going to charge them. Um, I think it was at the time $1,700 uh, for your, your day. Right. And I went, you charge them how much for my time? <laughs> how much am I getting of that? What am I making today? <laughs> um, that seems like a really good week's salary in a day. Maybe there's uh, room to kind of start side hustling. Um, so I started working um, uh, really just from those coffee chats and volunteering my time so that I entered the right rooms. Uh, and now I get paid as a consultant to work with you serving uh, and social impact organizations to build more inclusive products and services from the start. Um, and that's really where I've been focusing my time is um, um, at the startup stage, it's right. so much easier to start fresh than to right. kind of unbraid all of the bad habits and misconceptions that a company who feels they're successful and nothing can go wrong, but knows there's a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's a difficult breed uh, to work with. So uh, I've been a public speaker uh, and a consultant um, and, and really focused on, on how do you make products and services inclusive from the start. Um, and I've been doing that now for about three years um, as a side hustle. Okay. okay. So, you know, have you ever been in any situations where, you know, you were on, you were on the job, you were doing your little side hustle and you just fucked up? Like, and, <laughs> and like, and when you did, like, what did you do to recover from it? Yeah, of course that's happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the truth is, is that I'm outspoken. I only know how to speak the truth. Um, I've always been a fierce advocate for those that aren't being heard and aren't being seen. Um, my mom raised me to be exactly that. Uh, she gave me a difficult name so that I would learn to speak up as early as possible. So my social handle, Jace, actually, actually comes from me having to correct people. So my actual name oh. is then and no one says that correct so as long as I could speak I would say it's JC Lynn they would struggle and I'd say okay you can just call me Jace actually and children did so I was Jace actually on the playground and then I owned that later on in life mostly because coming out of the education system you are taught that you need to be a figurehead that has no opinions um, that can't be personal with kids um, and you're really just there to relay information well, that doesn't sit well with me. I think that one of the greatest gifts our teachers offer us is their life story and their life's experience. And the more diverse those things are, the richer the education our children are provided. So putting my teacher hat on and off was just not something I could stomach. I being congruent with myself is a non-negotiable. It's exhausting to have to put on a mask for eight hours a day and then be a different human in the evenings and weekends. Um, and so quite early into my teaching journey, I realized I'm probably on the wrong path. 
Um, you know, uh, unless I'm working under incredible principles, which I had the chance to do, um, I was always going to have to say the right thing and toe the company line. And that certainly was my experience within the corporate tech space as well. Um, and I just couldn't do it um, any longer and never really did. Um, so I've opened my mouth a little too loud. Uh, <laughs> and I've been told that an especially spicy Twitter timeline. Um, but, you know, if we don't call out injustice, we don't know it, we don't name it, we don't believe that it exists, and we can't get comfortable enough to change it. Um, and so I just always seen it as my job to say the things that were going unsaid. And often that caused me to be in places where I was just canceled, fired, <laughs> you know, shelved because I was too disruptive, or too difficult, or difficult to manage, or you know, wasn't willing to say exactly what was written for me uh, to say. Um, and so you might see that as a fuck up. I'm actually really fucking proud of that. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't see that as a fuck up at all. I see that as you being Jacelyn. Jacelyn. Yeah. Jacelyn. 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 <laughs> Jacelyn. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah, but that's why I'm bad for business. Um, right. Because, uh, you know, I will always push us to be better, even if it makes everyone uncomfortable initially. You know, we need to be uncomfortable uh, in order to learn and unlearn. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just always seen that as it was my absolute role, especially if I was in a position to be representing, you know, my wider community or others, um, I would take it on the chin and I, I would take it, um, you know, whatever, whatever would come at me, that was the risk and the responsibility of the roles I've held as an advocate, for, especially in the spaces of um, being an advocate for Indigenous entrepreneurs. We are so often silenced. Um, that whenever I had a chance to be on a platform, I was going to use it to speak nothing but truth. Wow. So I have a, I have, I think I have a bit of a spicy question. Give it to me. So how do you feel? And, you know, because, um, you know, I'm a black woman and, you know, this, this past uh, summer we saw, I guess, like a, a, the second pandemic, which was, uh, you know, black lives mattered suddenly. Um, so how do you feel? Because I, I remember seeing a lot of comments, especially on Twitter that was like, well, um, you know, I feel like people are prioritizing black people over the insert, you know, insert marginalized other marginalized group here. So how do you feel about that? I do not think, um, that we need to in fight amongst groups that are not getting the services, supports, and social supports that they need. But it's very easy for those in power to ensure that we spend our time doing that instead mm -hmm. of fighting the power systems that we need. Um, and so I have no time to say whether or not, you know, um, that is the that that's just not the argument. Um, the argument is that there are still a limited amount of people that hold an disproportionate amount of power that are using that um, to their benefit at the expense of the lives of others. Full stop in Canada and around the world today. Um, and, and here in Canada, where we are on uh, unceded stolen Indigenous land, um, I cannot help but see that as a priority for our government. 
alongside the priorities to ensure that everybody else has equitable access to uh, water, education, healthcare, and land. Um, so anytime we split hairs amongst those groups that aren't getting the, that access equitably, I see that as a power colonial dynamic bigger than us, Thank and I reject you. it um, because it, it splits our time from actually focusing on um, the reconciliation and self-determination we need to, to change that dynamic today where there are too many families women, children, men uh, that are not being supported at the basic human conditions that they need today in our country in, in Canada. And in Canada. What's so fucked up because <laughs> it's normalized and we're teaching it and reinforcing it in our education systems when we don't teach about that history and we erase that from the history. Uh, and we are just in a, a place where we're going to perpetuate that unless we speak out against it. So um, I think we need to unite in that effort, um, and I don't want to spend a single minute thinking about how um, it is going to divide us because we share so much of the same experience. Um, that's the real focus for me. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, that's a pretty. It's a pretty. It's like it's almost like a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation because it's like, girl, we're all. We're all going through like the man is trying to keep us down but it's like sometimes the man is just you know he's i don't even know how to describe it that's right right if i look at that um from an indigenous world view you know many indigenous nations are matrilineal so it was actually women that held the power um and in the decision making and the leadership of what you know the community needs um, and at colonization, we broke that system as fast as we could, right? We, we took uh, children away from their mothers. We took away, um, you know, a, a woman's right and her, her rightful um, power from her, um, all in support of that. So, you know, there's a huge mo movement um, called rematriation, where we are trying to help women regain their power rightfully um, and in a good way um, so that, you know, we just stand in our power um, as women. And I don't think you need to be indigenous to get behind a concept like that. Um, and in fact, as a Métis person who is half uh, First Nations and half French, you know, in this distinct um, uh, culture here in Canada, I, I walk both those worlds and, and I came into my culture late. So I often joke because it's how I take my power back that I'm a late blooming half-breed. Mm. Um, but I, I see that as a, a role that I can fulfill as a bridge builder, that I can kind of see where we struggle uh, in similar ways and, and offer us a way to work together. So for anyone that's kind of interested in that and looking for a new search term on how to name that, uh, rematriation, I think, is will be a, a massive movement. Absolutely. Especially what we're seeing, I think, especially with COVID, right? We're seeing nations that were led by women yes. <laughs> basically stomp out the the spread of COVID, whereas right. nations that are led by egotistical maniacs um, have been have seen, you know, widespread spread. Exactly. Right? So anyway, that's a whole, because that's the same thing happened in West Africa when colonization, we were a matriarchal uh, society. Then, you know, the English came in and stomped that out. 
So that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode as to why we need to be even better at business. Mm-hmm. So Jace, here's an interesting question. What's the best piece of advice you have ever received? And what's the worst advice you've ever received? Because of course the worst advice comes to mind first, because that's what sticks. Um, I'll start there. The worst advice I ever received, it just kicked me in the gut was that I needed to care less. Um, <laughs> and I can see why someone would say that though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know I am an idealist. I'm an optimist. I believe that we can have a better world. I've, I've never, never been able to be shook of that belief. Um, and so often, um, that is exhausting for others. Um, and so my, my feedback, you know, in a performance review is that, you know, you just need to care less. And it was right in that moment that I knew I was in the wrong room um, and that I wanted to be surrounded by people who wanted to care more. Apathy's just not in my bones. Um, and so that was the worst piece of advice I'd ever received because it just seemed to take all the wind out of my sail um, and miss really the, the bigger part that I was trying to rally my team around. Um, but you know, maybe that was the best piece of advice I got too, because it helped me really realize you're in the wrong room, um, right, right. something new. So those things always come right with a bit of a gift, uh, attached in retrospect. Um, so yeah, that, that's it. And, and I guess like most foundational to my life has been this concept, um, that we had as a, a young family that you just, you need to realize like there's consequences to anything that you do. And of course, as a young girl, it was probably came at like, you know, if you stay out late, you're going to get grounded. Um, but I actually turned that on its head to realize like, no matter what, there's going to be a consequence, um, good or bad, like consequence doesn't have to be negative. Um, but if I could imagine what a consequence might be, I'm halfway done doing it. Um, And so believing in the consequences of my actions or the consequences of your actions became an acronym in my house. And we just summed it up as COYA, consequences of your actions. I got it tattooed on my foot. It was just something that I wanted to guide me with every step. It was just that no matter what you do, you can have an impact on the world. Um, No matter how big or how small or how positive or how negative if you recognize that that's a hell of a lot of power to put behind your back. And, and I kind of needed that, you know, I, as I explained, like my, my upbringing was shaky. I moved a lot. I spent a lot of time alone. I was uh, pretty much raised myself in a lot of, a lot of ways. And that was just a key thing that I could remember uh, to guide myself. Like, what's next? Well, let's think about the outcomes of it. And either you believe in it and you're going to do it, or you're going to realize like, maybe it's going to lead you down the wrong path. Um, but either way, Koya. I love that. That's a, that's a really strong pillar Mm -hmm. to have in your life. And I think more of us could, I'm going to use it. Koya. Like that's, I love that. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. So Jacelyn, no, JC Lynn. No, there we go. Always a, just a reminder to everyone. If you don't know how to pronounce someone's name, just ask them. They will gladly teach you how to pronounce their name and don't be afraid to mess it up. And don't be afraid to correct people. That's right. Mess up your name because that is your name. If they can pronounce Michelangelo, Chichowski and you know, McConaughey, they're going to learn how to pronounce Jacelyn. Nope. 
JC Lynn. JC. JC Lynn. Damn it. <laughs> JC Lynn. Okay. So JC Lynn. JC Lynn. See, this is terrible. I have to just keep saying it because I want to say Jace actually. That's what I want to say. Right. right. But okay. Jace actually. Um, <laughs> what have you learned this year? I have learned so fucking much this year. Lay it uh, on me. Let's go. <laughs> um, I have been a very rare human to actually have embraced so much of what has come because of the pandemic. I saw people return to the earth, go outside more, plant gardens, make sourdough bread, like really bring it back home to the basic skills that we need to just be completely self-determined to take care of our own selves and not rely on big box stores and corporations to feed us. You know, I saw community come out and talk to each other and get to know each other's names. Um, and I just saw so much improve in my little sphere when that happened, despite how fucking awful it also was. Um, I just realized like those, those are the answers, you know, when we're like, how do we make the system better? How do we get beyond this? What's a life beyond COVID? It's like people know how to feed themselves good, healthy food and take care of themselves. They, they exercise more, they cook together, they enjoy family time, they t put their cell phones down and talk to each other. They don't spend four hours commuting every day in big box buildings and downtown cores. Like there's just so much that has come back to basic principles that I am just so in love with that I hope remains um, that it's just really reminded me what it takes um, to make the world a better place. Like it, it isn't some corporate strategy. It's just not going to be that. So, um, you know, when we put our family and our health first, you know, we all feel better, um, even if it's awkward while we are like breaking habits we can no longer do anymore. But um, so I learned that I learned that that, you know what, no matter what, my family's going to come first over any job. And I've always been a workaholic with one to three jobs at a time. I've learned that I'm a woman of my word. Like when I say I'm a advocate for Indigenous entrepreneurs, I am acting that out. I am speaking my mind and I'm carrying that out myself. Um, I learned that, you know, I cannot sit back in solidarity, that I need to like stand up in revolution and rise in revolution, that that takes action, uh, not just black tiles on Instagram and, you know, a, a clever tweet here and there, but to literally make the choice to spend my money where I want to invest it to, you know, travel one side of the country to the other in search of a place that's actually going to create the conditions for me and my family and the next seven generations is uncomfortable and hard and you've got to change everything in your life but that it'll be worth it in the end and that money doesn't fulfill me I could give two shits about six-figure jobs um, I've made a lot of money and when I wasn't living and fulfilling my full purpose it didn't matter um, and so I'm a purpose-driven person um, and when I'm like authentic and congruent and living out my values and can say whatever the fuck I want I'm a much happier woman <laughs> that is what I really come to learn in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic and shift, shifting and sh like reshaping my whole life to really align all of my thoughts and my actions um, with my spirit and my being so um, and I can do it that's like the thing like it's hard but you can do it um you can grow your own food you you can you know raise your family first and think about money second uh you just have to reject 
all of these um, colonial belief systems that tell you like, nope, you got to work for me for 40 hours a week and buy my stuff and take my medication and do all these other things. Like there's just so much of that, that is just so programmed into us that I'm seeing now. Yeah. Uh, and once this, you know, that pandemic kind of made us realize there's, you can work from home. Like, yeah, you could have done it before the pandemic too, but, um, it's just, it's, you know, lifting the fog and, you know, kind of seeing it for the truth that it is. So, um, it's been an incredible growth year for me. You are a totally different person. I feel than I think we spoke earlier this year, you, you, you're a different person and it's, it's an absolute fucking joy. (laughs) Like I'm what, so we're, I can see her because we're doing this over zoom and it's just, I'm just sitting here like, the big ass smile on my face because it's so like to see a woman just so free and empowered is just something else. It's Funny how not an image we ever get to see, right? Yeah. <sighs> Good for you. Fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so what's the next big thing for you? So you've moved across the country. You're, you're in Kamloops doing the thing like, like, so what's the next big thing for you? Yeah, I, I'm still very much working with Indigenous uh, women entrepreneurs specifically. Um, I am a board of directors, sit on the board of directors for the Indigenous Lift Collective. Um, and so I've really been um, just thinking about what is it that I needed to make big transitions in my life. So my next focus is really to create um, a source of support for other women who want to leave trauma and toxic environments in order to step into entrepreneurship. So many indigenous women make that choice because there is no choice. Um, And you lose so much of a social support system when you're not employed. I didn't realize that until I experienced it. So checking my privilege in that, but that is fucked up and it's really broken. And I think there needs to be a a better line of support for that. And so that's my new focus. I would like to uh, bridge that gap um, that wasn't there for me when I made that transition and uh, help more indigenous women thrive. That sounds like a plan. That sounds yeah. like a plan. So one more question and, and, and you know, I, I, I know you're going to kill it. I know you're going to crush it. Jace, what makes you bad for business? I've got a big mouth and I don't know how <laughs> to shut up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you know what? Never shut up. Keep talking. Keep doing whatever it is. Keep you know, your North star is shining so, so brightly. Keep following it. Keep following it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love it. Miigwech. This has been another episode of your favorite unconventional and unfiltered business podcast, Bad for Business. I'll see you again next week where I'll be finding out the real stories behind the success of another Bad for Business entrepreneur. Be sure to connect with the Founders Fund community at foundersfund.ca.